morning. Let me survey the crowd. Yep, it's summer. Everybody's got their glow on. Got a little bit of summer glow going on. Thank you so much for allowing us to have a couple weeks off. We had a great time together with our family and resting and hanging out. And uh, we're back. And um, I'm going to take care of this week. And then Pastor Craig, like you said, is going to take care of next week. So um, I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, we're talking about Pastor Patty's favorite thing today. Look at him and say, we're talking about sin today. We're talking about sin today, y'all. Okay, it's not necessarily my favorite thing to talk about, but we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it because it's a real thing, right? Sin is a real thing. Sometimes we read Romans and it's hard to understand. But once we understand what the Apostle Paul means when he's talking about the law of God, the whole book starts making sense. The whole book starts making sense when you think about the law. Now, I have noticed... In my marriage, at least, and I think there are other marriages that are the same. In each marriage, there might be a rule follower, and there's a creative one. I don't even think it takes you two guesses to figure out which one's the rule follower and which one's the creative one. Right? Right? We have lots of conversations about rules. I think there are rules in the world for a reason. Some people think that there are rules in the world for just to give us ideas of things that we could do wrong. Let's just don't do that and let's see what happens. Like maybe speeding. <laughs> speeding, driving over the speed limit. Now my son admitted a few years ago that he got in trouble for driving over the speed limit. Who do you think taught him to do that? It was my car, but it was not me. I have another child who has learned that speeding will actually cost you a whole paycheck when it's time to pay the ticket. And that child has actually somewhat decided that maybe she might slow down and not have to pay tickets with every one of her paychecks. There's also another rule that I take very seriously in our world, and that's the grass rule. And I don't mean like the puff puff pass kind of grass. I mean like the kind that you walk on grass. I feel like if I didn't plant that grass and it's not my grass, I'm not going to walk on it. If there is a sidewalk or if there is a driveway or there is anything else that I can walk on besides the grass, I'm going to maybe even take the long way around to keep from walking on someone else's grass. It's not my grass. I'm not going to walk on it. I even have trouble in parks, y'all. I really do. I have trouble in parks that I'm like, okay, I think they planted this grass for us to actually walk on. But I still want to stand on the sidewalk because I'm the rule follower. Someone will just bolt right over some grass that he didn't plant and that he didn't water and that he didn't pay for, and it's not his grass. That's what we're talking about today. They're rule followers and there are creative peoples. I physically, I honestly believe that it's better to be a rule follower. I think you get out of, I think you get in less trouble when you're a rule follower. I think you pay fewer uh, drive, uh, speeding tickets when you are a rule follower. I think you have lots of things going well in your life if you're a rule follower. But you know what? In chapter 7, Paul tells us what the, law of, what the law of God is, 
what those rules are that we're supposed to be following. And he explains to us our problem with that law. He explains to us why it's so hard for us to be able to follow those rules. Now, there's a controversy over the context of, the, of chapter 7, which I'm talking about today. Paul was, a, was originally a Jew, and he, well, he, he was forever a Jew, but he was, he was a Jew, and he became a Christian. He was a Jew that became a Christian. So there's two camps that, that, that consider why, how, what voice Paul is talking out of when he's talking up in chapter 7. One of them is that he is a pre-Christian that is still under the law. This means that he's thinking back to before he met Christ, before he had his Damascus Road experience, before he met Jesus, this is what he, this is, he's thinking back to how he thought before when he was just under the law. Or the second one is that he's a Christian that's struggling with sin. I know you think, a Christian struggles with sin? Yeah, we do. You do too, right? Every day, every day. So which one is better? It doesn't matter to me. I mean, I just pick one. Pick one. Pick whichever one you think is, is, is the reason. But the same, the same truth underlies in both. The only way to live a right-acting life. There's only one way to live a right-acting life. There's only one way to not struggle with sin. There's only one way to live as a Christian who's no longer under the law. Everything else just causes frustration and burnout. You need to be righteous, which means you do what's right. Righteous. It's right there in the Word, y'all. Righteous. You do what's right. You are in right standing before the Lord. You can become detached from your sinful life and attach yourself to the right thing to do. But it's not easy. You can have a right-acting life, but it's not, it's not natural. But here's the good news. You can have a good acting you can have a right acting life. The good news is you can have a life where you act right. But with all good news, there's also bad news. The bad news is there's only one way to do it. There's only one way to live with these rules and live under this law and still have a productive life. We're going to start with verse 17 in Romans 7. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. So we start this sentence with we. So we have to figure out who the we is, right? Because it's talking about we. We know. So who is the we? Well, the we is they're primarily, because of who he's writing to, they're primarily, like Paul, if they were Jews who had become Christians. And why did these Jews know that the law was spiritual? because they had been learning about it since birth, basically. They had been learning about the laws of God since the beginning of their lives. They had studied it. They knew it. They knew it well. They were into it. American Christians, maybe not so much. Okay, if I asked you, Anybody in the room, if you can quote, if you can tell me the Ten not not necessarily quote them, but tell me the Ten Commandments in order, I want you to raise your hand. The only reason why I can raise my hand is because I know it by a song. 
There's a, there was a song that I taught when, 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 when we were youth pastors and I was teaching children's church or whatever. There was a song that came out and it taught the Ten Commandments. That's the only reason why I know them. I couldn't just quote them to you, but I know them in order because of that song. Most Americans don't know the Ten Commandments, but the Jews did. They knew those ten and the hundreds of others that they had put on them in the process. All those other laws that they had come up with. But okay, so, but if you've been here a minute, you might look at me and say, but Pastor Patty, Pastor Craig says that we're not supposed to follow the Ten Commandments, that we're supposed to just follow the one that Jesus said, and that was to love God and to love people. So why are we talking about the Ten Commandments? Okay, you're right. That is what he says. And he's quoting Hebrews 8 when he does that. But you know why we want to know about the law? Because the law teaches us that we, something that we can't learn any other way. The law teaches us about the lawgiver. The law teaches us about God. The law teaches us about the things that God has in mind as the best way for us to live our lives. You know, have you ever driven one of those like ultra safe cars? I don't own one, but I drove one on vacation one time. And the first time I was driving and I started to veer out of my lane just a little bit, my seat buzzed, and I was like, whoa, what was that? And then I started over this way, and I was like, okay, I'm going to test it. I started over into this lane, and this side of my seat buzzed. And then in the process of driving, I little got, got what, what the car considered a little bit closer to the person in front of me than it thought I should have been. And the front part of my seat, but, uh, and, and then the brakes went on, and I was like, okay, this is weird. You know what that car was doing? That car was trying to keep me safe. That car was trying to keep me in the boundaries, trying to keep me from running into that car in front of us. We have these ultra-safe cars that help us to obey the car, to obey the laws. But you know what that, what that car can't do? It can't change your heart about what you're doing, and it can't make you do anything. You can push the gas when it's trying to stop, and it will keep going. You can pull yourself off the road even though it's trying to keep you in line. The law can do one thing. It can point out your sin. What the law cannot do is save you from your sin. The law can point out the sin in your life, but the law cannot save you. That's why we talk about that the law, that the law is obsolete because the law is great and that's wonderful, but it cannot save you. Jesus has a better way. There was a better way provided than for us to have to live out of all these laws. It cannot save me from sin. The next part of this chapter is where Paul gets really vulnerable. Um, whether, he's, whether he's thinking about his pre-Christian life or he's actually thinking about a, being a Christian who's struggling with sin still, either way, he gets really vulnerable. It sounds a little bit like a Dr. Seuss book, <laughs> the way he writes it. But, you know, he's, he's, he's putting his heart out there. He's putting his heart on the line. He's showing you what he's dealing with. And I think he does that so that we can go, oh, wow, I feel that way too. Let's keep going with verse 15 and 16. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Okay, he's a walking contradiction, basically. He knows what's right, but he's just not going to do it. He knows he's not going to do it. 
But the minute he doesn't, then the law shows up again, and he feels like he should have done it, and it shows him that he should have done it, but he can't stop. Why is that? Paul is a very educated, a very educated, a very sensible man. He's very smart. So why can't he just make himself stop doing the things that he shouldn't be doing? Why can't he just make himself line up with the law? Verses 17 and 20 keeps going with the Dr. Seuss. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I want you to notice the bold, line, bold in this verse. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do of this thing I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. And I'm going to ask him just to leave this up here on the screen for a second. So like I said, it sounds a little bit like a Dr. Seuss, right? I do not do it with a fox. I do not do it with the box. I do not, you know, it sounds a little bit Dr. Seuss because a lot of eyes. If you count, there's one version of this. There's 31 eyes in this chapter. <laughs> He's talking about himself a lot, but he knows himself. And he also knows that he's not the only one. He also knows that this sin nature is something that we all deal with. Because if you, if you look at the, how, the, how this scripture is written, it seems like he's repeating himself a lot. And he is. And there's a reason for that. Because in the Greek language, what's happening is Paul is actually like giving a talk or giving a sermon or, or he's actually reciting this and somebody's writing it down. They send it to the church at Rome and that's how we, that's how we get the book of Romans. So, but in the language that he's using, which is the Greek, they don't have punctuation. The Greek that they were using didn't have commas. It didn't have periods. It didn't have paragraph starts and stops. It didn't have exclamation points. So to get their point across that they were really wanting to drive something home, they would repeat it over and over and over. That's why this sounds a little bit like a, a Dr. Seuss book, because he's really trying to drive this point home without an exclamation point. He really wants us to understand that what we have is not a knowledge problem. We know, we understand what's right and what's wrong. What we have is a nature problem. We don't have a knowledge problem. We know what's right and wrong. We've been taught all our lives what's right and wrong. We've learned scriptures that tell us what's right and wrong. We have a nature problem. Our nature does not want to do what's right. Our nature does not want to just line up with what the Bible says. I'm doing a Bible study right now called Ordinary Women. Um, and one of the books that we use for that book, for that study, is um, a Watchman Nee book. I'm just going to warn you, if you want to read this book, that's great. That's awesome. I love Watchman Nee. But you have to read it like, you have to read a paragraph like three times. Because he's super smart. And it was written in Chinese. So then it was translated into English, so it's kind of difficult to read. But there's a story in here, there's an example in here. This, the, we, this, this scripture was our study one week um, during, our, during our Bible study, and he, he gave us this um, example. So I want to read it to you, but I had to blow it up, because, <laughs> you know, that's really tiny. So, here we go. If you have a very clumsy servant, and he just sits still and does nothing. Okay, let's sit still and do nothing. 
then his clumsiness does not appear. If he does nothing all day, he will be of little use to you. It is true, but at least he'll do no damage that way. But if you say to him, now come along, don't idle away your time, get up and do something, then immediately the trouble begins. He knocks the chair over as he gets up. He stumbles over a footstool a few, a few paces further on, and he smashes some precious dish as soon as he handles it. If you make no demands on him, his clumsiness is never noticed. But as soon as you ask him to do anything, his awkwardness is apparent at once. The demands were all, were all right, but the man was all wrong. He was a clumsy man whether he was sitting still or whether he was doing what you were asking him to do. It was your demands that manifest the clumsiness, which when he was active, inactive, or active or, or inactive, was all the time in his makeup. He was clumsy from the beginning. We are all sinners by nature. If God asks nothing of us, all seems to go well. But as soon as he demands something of us, the occasion is provided for a grand display of our sinfulness. And this is the line I want to get to. The law makes our weakness manifest. The law makes our weakness manifest. Your sinful nature has always been there. Your sinful nature is, 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 is your nature because of the sin that, that was started in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve. It has been the nature of every person born since then. It is your sinful nature. Knowing the law just points it out. It's your sinful nature whether you ever point it, whether anything ever points it out or not. The law actually points out that, it's your, that, that, that you have the sinful nature. Like I said, we don't have a knowledge problem. We have a nature problem. It's not knowing what's right and wrong. The Jews thought if they knew enough about the law, this is how they, this is how they perceive things. If they knew enough about the law, then that was going to get them right with God. That's not our mindset. I mean, us, it's more like, okay, if I just have the willpower, if I just have the grit, if I just have the fortitude, I'm just going to clench my fists until I'm righteous. I will will myself into right standing before God. But that's not how it works. I can't will myself into right standing before God. I know the law. I understand the law. But that's just half of the problem. The law just points out the nature in me that needs to be fixed. Willing yourself does nothing about your nature. I can will myself to not eat three donuts and to just eat one donut because I know that's what's better for my body, right? That doesn't change the fact that I still want three donuts. Your sinful nature is going to be there. You are the one who has to do something about it. And like I said earlier, there's only one thing you can do about it. The car we talked about earlier, it was a guide. It kind of guided me down the road, kept me from hitting things, kept me from running into things. It wasn't a surgeon. It couldn't go into my brain and take away those things that would keep me, that make me want to drive fast or that make me want to veer off the road, whatever. The car is just a guide. Once you understand that that's what the law does, it becomes beautiful and spiritual. It becomes something you actually want to have in your life. The law is not meant to fix you. The law is not meant to fix you. It's just meant to show you a better way. It's there to help you. 
Verse 20 is where we're going to go. 21 is where we're going to go next. It shows us the root of the problem. Here's the root of the problem. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He shows us in verse 21 that there's another law at work here. The law of sin. It's right there. And in chapter 8 next week, he shows us a third way. And that's what Craig's going to talk about that, that, that helps to make that law not the one that, that makes us not have to be able to follow those laws. It gives us a new option. It gives us the option of not having to live under those laws. But here, Paul, Paul continues explaining the law of sin. This is on with verse 22 and 23. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I want to do right. I delight in what's right. It makes me feel good to do what's right. It really does. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Just knowing you're doing wrong doesn't change anything. Just knowing the law doesn't change anything. There's a famous atheist, his name is Richard Dawkins, and he, he says that, that we were all born with a selfishness gene. Now, how many of you have ever had or known a toddler? Okay. When babies are born, usually the first word that they speak is either mama or daddy. The next one is no. And the third one is mine. You do not have to teach a toddler how to be selfish. It's just in their nature. They are experts at it from the beginning. They know exactly how to be selfish. Okay, well, let's, those are toddlers. What about us adults? How many smokers do you think are sitting on their couch smoking a cigarette? If their wife lets them smoke in the house. Uh, or their husband. I shouldn't say they don't mean men smoke. Smoke and saying, oh my gosh, this is so good for my lungs right now. I can just feel how awesome my lungs are. I could just, and my teeth, oh, they're just getting prettier every day. This is so good for me. This is so awesome for me. How about, ladies... We walk into Dillard's or Macy's and we see this really cute purse. And we just love this purse and we just have to have this purse. And we know how much debt we're in. We know how bad we need to pay the light bill. We know how bad we need to pay our car payment, but the purse is just so cute. I can't stand it. I, can't. I have to have it. I have to have it. I'll figure out the light bill tomorrow. And we go home with a purse that we didn't need. Or um, what about uh, <clears throat> when you roll into the Memphis barbecue and you order a full slab with a side of pulled pork? I know it's almost lunchtime. Y'all are getting hungry. Just me thinking about it, just me talking about it. With a side of fries because it comes with two sides. But you get slaw because that's healthy. I mean, you're basically a vegan eating this meal because you have slaw, right? Okay. So you're sitting there and you're eating this full slab side of pork, pulled pork, french fries with cheese on them, because that's how I like them, and the slaw that makes it all so healthy. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, my waistline is loving this. 
my arteries are just screaming about how happy they are right now with me eating all this crap. They're gonna, my heart just loves me. My arteries love me. My waistline loves me. I should order another slab of ribs. You can literally feel the things that it's doing to you, but you do it anyway. One last one. These are your feet. These are your toes. I need you to do, to do that right now, okay? So you're having a conversation with your spouse, and it gets a little controversial. It gets a little heated. And then all of a sudden, you feel yourself, you hear yourself saying these things that you know are hurtful and that you know are going to cut your spouse deeply. And in the back of your mind, you're like, you shouldn't be saying that. But you cannot stop your mouth from just about everything they've ever done wrong in your life. What is that little voice in the back of your head that tells you that you should or that you should push away from the table or that maybe you should put the cigarettes down or that maybe you shouldn't buy the purse? That's God. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That voice is God. It's his law. His law tells you to take care of your temple. His law tells you to be financially responsible. His law tells you to speak nice and be, and be kind to those around you. Those are his laws. And that's why that little thing in the back of your head is going, beep, 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 like an alarm going off back there. But sometimes you just can't help it. The law's not going to keep you from doing it. The law's not going to shut your mouth. The law's not going to shut your wallet, but it is going to give you that little feeling of, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. You're the one who has to do something about it. That's why we don't have a knowledge problem, like I said before. We have a nature problem, which brings us to verse 24. Romans 7, 24 says, What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, our nature, my nature, because that's just how I am, I stop on the word wretched because I can see myself there. I can see myself in that wretched spot. But that's not the important part of this verse. The important part of this verse shows us that we cannot change ourselves. Who will rescue me? doesn't say I will rescue me. doesn't say my pastor will rescue me. It doesn't say my spouse will rescue me. It says, who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? We have to get to the place where we know we're wretched, but we also know that we can't do anything about it. We can't change our wretchedness or our wretchedness. Verse 25 tells us who can. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God because he is the who that can set me free from this wretchedness in my life. He is the only way. He's, what's the one way? How can I be transformed? It's with a relationship with Jesus. It's not mastering the law. It's not knowing all the laws. It's not even trying to fulfill all the laws. It's meeting the person of God. It's meeting 
Jesus. That's the only way we're going to change. You have to plug yourself into the right source to be able to do anything about this wretchedness in your life. You have to be able to take that turn and see what God offers us for all the brokenness. In these last seven chapters, Paul's been telling us how broken we are. And he just gave us the key. And it's going to turn, it's going to turn the page till next week. We're going to just, he's just going to continue telling us how God, a relationship with Jesus, having the Holy Spirit in your life can fix that wretchedness, can fix that brokenness. So I want to recap. You guys can write these things down because I uh, put the blanks at the end so you pay attention all the way to the end. Here we go. Number one, God, God's law reveals our sin, but it does not keep us from sinning. It tells us what the rules are, but it doesn't make us follow them. When we know the law, it exposes our sin. It exposes what we Knowing the law exposes our sin. But we need the person of Jesus if we're going to change our nature and not sin. Number two, we keep sinning even when we understand sin's destructive power. I mean, there are things that sin will do to your life. There is brokenness that will come into your life because of sin. But when we keep sinning and we just don't pay attention to the brokenness, it just keeps getting Okay, excuse me for my, for my language here, but broker and broker and broker. It's not going to get any better until number three, we can only be delivered from sin by a relationship with Jesus. We can be and we will be delivered from sin by that relationship with Jesus. We can't help it. When you come into relationship with Jesus, you have to start fixing the things in your life. That's why we tell you that we, we, at South Point, you can belong before you believe. Because we know that if you just keep coming here and you keep, keep experiencing the worship and you keep hearing the word and you keep letting the Holy Spirit do his work, you're eventually going to make a change. You're eventually going to step out and say, you know what? I need to not be doing this on my own. I need some help. You can be delivered. You can belong before you believe. But there's eventually going to have to be a moment where you say, you know what? I've messed it up enough. I have taken this life and I have crumpled it up like a piece of paper. And now I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to smooth out all those little crumpled edges. When really what Jesus wants you to do is take that crumpled up piece of paper of life and just open your hand. And he takes that crumpled up piece of paper of a life and he hands you a brand new, fresh, clean piece of paper that you get to start writing the rest of your story on. Because he doesn't want you to live with a crumpled up life. He doesn't want you to live in, in the place where you're just trying to figure out, okay, I'm just doing all this bad stuff. What can I do to make it better? He literally wants you to, 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 to look at him and go, I can't. I can't do better. I need you to help me. I need you to fix this brokenness in me. 
So if you guys wouldn't mind, I just want you to close your eyes for a second. I know that there are probably some people in here who have been living with that crumpled up piece of paper life. And you're ready to turn the page to a new life. A new life where you are no longer in control. A new life where you are no longer the one trying to get you out of your sin nature. Because you realize that you absolutely cannot do it. Scripture does not lie. You can't do it on your own. You can't will yourself into the right laws all the time. You have to have that relationship. And if you're here and you don't have that relationship, you don't have that Holy Spirit speaking to you on a daily basis telling you, you know what, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try, let's try this path for a while. Making Jesus the Lord of your life is literally that. Making him the Lord of your life. The Lord of the manor was in charge of everything. In charge of everything, in charge of everybody, responsible for everybody, but he also protected and took care of everyone in his manor. So when we make him the Lord of our life, we give our lives over to him. And we tell him, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I want you to be in charge from now on. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to count. I'm going to tell you that there are other people in this place. One, two, three, four. Anybody else? Five. Thank you, Lord. Six. Seven. Eight. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for these eight people. We worship, we, we worship you and we celebrate with the angels because that's what the, that's what the word says is happening right now. Somebody has decided to make the Jesus the Lord of their life and heaven is going crazy right now because someone has come home. Someone has made that decision. So Lord, right now, in their hearts, I pray that you just clean up that mess that they've made. There's still going to be consequences and they have to be lived out. That's fine. But Lord, you're going to walk them through that. Because you are becoming the Lord of their life. You're becoming the Lord of the manor today. And they are going to run their decisions by you. They're going to trust you. They're going to tell everybody they know that they've made you the Lord of their life. And you are going to wash them clean of all those bad decisions, all those sins, all that, so that sinful nature that we were all born with. You are going to, you're going to cover it, Lord. And you're going to help them walk the, walk the path towards righteousness. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for those in this service and in the last service. For anybody watching online who might have made that decision today as well, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are the God who just wants relationship with us. You gave us the law so that we can know your thoughts and your ways. And we can know what those higher ways are. And then you gave us your son to walk it out. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And we praise you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank y'all very much. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. If you guys want to stand, we're going to, we're going to pray the benediction. We're going to get out of here. If, if you happen to be one of those people who raised their hands today, or you've raised it before and you haven't done this, there's a book down front. These people would love to pray with you, but they'd also, if you just walk down there and say, hey, I just want the book. That book is just going to give you some next steps. It's going to give you some scriptures to read. It's going to give you some, some ways to understand the law. 
and how you can actually walk it out. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help to introduce you to Jesus. Just walk down there and say, I just, want, I just want the book. Or if you want prayer, they're there as well. There's also communion elements down there. If you are a believer in Christ and you want to take communion, or you or your family, if you want to do that, there's elements down there. You guys can do that as well. So we're going to pray this benediction, and we're going to go, and we're going to have some not barbecue for lunch, right? <laughs> You can have barbecue, just don't overdo it for goodness sakes. All right, so here we go. Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.